Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. What's the word texture mean? Somebody help me out with that. Define texture. I see you, Auntie Joe. She's she's, she's, she's what is it? It's 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 like what you feel, right? So, uh, does a blanket have like a nice texture, like a smooth texture? Most do, right? The blankets that don't, you know, we throw those out, right? Or we give those to the dogs, right? So. We, we, uh, the texture, this whole idea of like hardness and softness, like what if like that actually applied to your, your actual heart, your heart itself? There's this idea that's over and over and over again in scripture of what your heart is, that God paid for you, he brought you back from death to life, and your heart went from being physically dead to now alive and beating for him. What's, what are some characteristics you think of a hard heart? What do you think? Rachel's like, I'm out. <laughs> What's that? Meanness, okay, yeah. Like we, we, we talked, we read earlier about callousness, right? Like, some, like what does is, what is hardness or callousness keep you from doing? What? To loving. Whoa. So you mean to tell me that maybe the hardness of my heart, the callousness of my heart, could actually keep me from loving the way that God's called me to? It could keep me from being kind or compassionate like he's called me to. What do you think? It's totally true. It's totally true. We're going to study here in Zechariah this whole idea of, of your heart. The, the, your your Heart being softened by Christ as opposed to being hardened by who? Who hardens your heart? What? We do. We do. Yeah, you know, like Jesus is responsible for the softening. I can't soften my own heart. I can try a lot. I can fake a lot of stuff, but that's not softening my heart. He can soften. I'm really good at hardening. How do we harden our heart? Say no a lot, yeah? Who are you saying no to? Absolutely, yeah. Like, how many times do you say no to God before you just start ignoring him? And then the callousness builds up, and you don't even hear his voice anymore. You don't even feel what he's guiding you to do. You have no idea what, what, what you're supposed to be doing in your job, your family, etc. because your heart's so hardened, nothing's getting through. It's just hitting, 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 and just going off to the side. Shields, right? The, the big idea this week is the next chapter, right? Because we're talking about the next chapter of your life. When God has brought you from death to life, he's now writing your next chapter. Your next chapter requires a Jesus-softened heart to be successful. 
He's already paid for your sins. We're very thankful for that. It's kind of the biggest deal in the history of the world that he brought us from death to life. Not, not taking anything away from that. But the next chapter of your life is bent on the fact of, do you have a heart that you're allowing Christ to soften and guide you in the way that he would call you? Is it softened? Is it possible that there's a lot of Christians in the sense that they've given their life over to God, right? They are Christian. They do know who Jesus is. But they've been walking around with hard hearts for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Is that possible? Absolutely. When's the last time God spoke to you and said, go fill in the blank, and it was just like, ah. I got a heavy week, God. <laughs> I got a lot going on. I don't know if I can get to that. We rationalize and rationalize and rationalize and rationalize, and we're arguing in our own minds and our own hearts about following the God who paid for our sins, and then we don't, and then we wonder why we don't feel close to God. We wonder why when we gather for a worship gathering, we're not actually worshiping God. We're just talking about it. This happens all the time, and it can happen so quickly. But it can also be softened so quickly by coming to Christ. Let's cover a little bit of background, because we had, um, remember what's going on, right? We covered Haggai and Zechariah, two books that everyone here is a scholar on. You guys, like, knew everything about these books, right? Remember what was going on. You had 586, Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians, okay? So Jerusalem's fallen. That's the captivity time. That's when you've heard the different prophets talk about the captivity. They were taken off into Babylon, and now they're coming back. If you've ever heard of the king Cyrus the Great, kind of a big deal in, in ancient history, he's the one who allowed them to go back. So he sends them back to rebuild the temple. They go back to rebuild the temple, and if you remember, it didn't exactly go well. They're running in, and then problems arose, and then they backed off. And it was like, you know, I know I'm supposed to be building God's temple, and that's all important and stuff, but, but Aunt May's farm is here. And I can just, like, start making money now. I can just go ahead and get everything going. I can get the economy back on track. And then maybe later I can go back and build the temple. And then 10 years happen. <laughs> it's that quick. Do you see the hardness of heart there? So the Jews, as we said, lost heart. Ten years. And then we had the beginning of Zechariah. Remember, where God's calling them out. And do you remember what we talked about last week? It was six chapters. It was a whole big section. It was all about the spiritual world. Why was God showing Zechariah the spiritual world? Anybody remember? It's totally, totally cool. He was showing him the spiritual world. Because he needed to understand what was really going on. So for six chapters, or about seven visions, he pulled back the curtain and said, this is what's really going on. The physical stuff, the people that you're dealing with, this is what you think is happening, but this is really what's happening. He showed him angels, he showed him demons, he showed him wickedness, all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. Read those six chapters and you'll, like, it's, it's mind-blowing. So Zechariah gets it. He sees what God's called him to do. And they start to rebuild the temple. And do you remember what the older folks said about the new temple? Yeah, right? They were like, oh, this temple. You guys are, yeah, good job. But you know what? The old temple, whew, 
that was that was awesome, guys. You don't know about temples, so we build temples like crazy, right? That was the idea. So they're rebuilding, they're going, they're going, and then the younger ones actually got discouraged by the older ones. We're going to jump in now, two years later, okay? So Zechariah has seen all the visions, he knows the spiritual side of things, he took that assuming to them, and they've been at work, okay? They've been rebuilding the temple, and now the word of the Lord comes back to Zechariah. This is two years later, but also two years before the temple will be finished, Make sense? Cool. Let's jump in. Verse 1 reads, In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day in the ninth month, which is Chislev, think December. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regim Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all of the people and of the land and of the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for those seventy years, was it for me you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words of the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with cities all around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against any another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they may not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts and that what he had seen through the Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that had not known them. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. So you have this section here. So they're, they're going to work, and then you have these guys show up from Bethel, okay? When you hear Bethel, just think of surrounding town, okay? Think Gainesville. An envoy came from Gainesville, and what are they coming to find out? Anybody remember? They're asking about abstaining. They've been fasting on the fifth and the seventh month. So for the last 70 years... They've been fasting in the fifth month and the seventh month to commemorate the destruction of the temple and them being taken into captivity. Now you see over and over in Jewish history, God sets up these festivals to remind them of things that have happened in the past so that they can stay focused. Now this was not a God-ordained festival. We don't have any passage in scripture that says on the fifth and seventh month you will abstain for one day about the captivity. It's not there, but they did it for 70 years. Now the temple's being rebuilt. Do we still got to do it? Do we still need to fast in the 5th and the 7th month? 
who here thinks that's kind of a reasonable question? It's reasonable, right? So they show up. This is an envoy coming from Bethel. And they show up and they want to ask those that are rebuilding the temple, hey, what's going on? Do we need to do this? And that brings us to our first principle, verses 1 through 6. It's the facade principle. The point is, is the hard-hearted make themselves the center of worship, not God. So we're talking about people that do not have a Jesus-softened heart. They're hung up on their own issues and what they want out of everything. They make worship about them, not about the God who saved them. Also, they cling to ritual rather than relationship, preferring the show over substance. For 70 years, they've been fasting. This is like ingrained in culture. Can you name one thing in your family that your family has done for 70 years? Probably not, right? We don't have a tradition in my family that goes back 70 years. I don't even know the name of my great-great-grandfather. I got one great, I think. You know, like This is ingrained in them, okay? This is what they do. But notice what happens in these first six verses. They go and they ask the question, shall we do this? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to them, verse 4, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and you drink, did you not eat for yourselves or drink for yourselves? What God is saying is for 70 years, you put on a show about what was going on when really what was going on is you were upset about your circumstances, not about the fact that you sinned against me. Did you see it? They were upset that they're in captivity, that things aren't going the way they wanted, not that they had sinned against God. Look at your own life right now and think about how many times we get upset and we mourn our circumstances, not the fact that we sinned against God. We don't look at what got us there. What we do is we think, look where we are now. This is terrible. Oh. But we come to church on Sunday. We smile. We, we, can, we can put on a show. We can lift our hands. But is it just a facade? The picture that you're looking at, um, you may have seen this guy online. He paints murals on the ground that are very realistic. It's pretty cool. Are they actually whitewater rafting? Not at all. They're just sitting on a sidewalk. Does it look like they're whitewater rafting? Totally does. Totally does. They can lift their hands high. They can go, woo! But are they whitewater rafting? Can you come to church on Sunday, lift your hands high, sing, and woo, and not actually worship? Because your heart is so hardened, you're not paying attention to God, and you're making it about you, not the worship of Him? You absolutely can. A lot of people do it. A lot of us find ourselves in that because our heart is so hardened. We're not actually submitting to God. We mourn, but what we mourn is our circumstances, not that we sinned against God. How authentic is your worship? Take a minute, check yourself. Are you here to worship the God who paid for your sins? 
or are you here just because you feel like you should be? Where are you at? Because in the picture, that looks fun, but it's worthless. It's worthless. It, it is meaningless. It's ritual. It's not real. The Jesus softened heart is the antidote to fake religious practice. It's the key ingredient in the next chapter in its success. A Jesus softened heart does not worship that way. A Jesus softened heart does not walk in the world that way. Now here's the crazy thing. You can have a Jesus softened heart right now. You can leave this, this building right now and you can say, you know what, God, I, I, you, know, you pray to God, God, I've been faking it. And you can take it to the Lord, and he can soften your heart, and you can go, and in the next three days, you can harden your heart all over again. It's a perpetual thing. Softening your heart is done by him. Going and spending time with him, praying with him, and we harden. We put up the facade. And sometimes we make it look kind of fun. The next principle that you'll see is in verses 7 through 10. I call this the inaction principle. You see it says, Were not these the words of the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. What he's saying here is that the Jesus-softened heart treats others with kindness and compassion. It's really hard to have a hard heart and actually see people the way that Jesus says they are. When my heart is really busted up and just, just rock solid hard, I don't see people the way that God has called me to see them. I don't love them the way he's called me to love them. I don't show them the kindness and compassion that he's called me to give them. Zechariah reiterated that the message of how to treat one another had not changed. God valued compassion in his people from the beginning. So, did you see what he says there? He says, hey guys, the message hadn't changed. The former prophets, you know, all the ones who preached and taught before we went into captivity because we wouldn't get out of our own way and wouldn't actually go to God. This is the same message. Treat one another with respect, kindness, mercy, patience. Love one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. That's a Jesus-softened heart in action. That's what it looks like. It's, it's a crazy thing. The, the story that you hear over and over and over again, if you, if you hear stories of people coming to know Christ, right? A lot of the time, they came to know Christ because they got involved with a local body or a local group, and they liked the people. They hung out with the people, and they were like, the people weren't weird. It was cool. They were nice. And we talked to them, and it wasn't... Uh, and then, over time, they learned who Jesus was. Some people have that, ah, boom, moment, right? Some people have that, but a lot don't. What a lot have is a relational circumstance that then changes to God changing their heart. 
God uses our softened heart in compassion and kindness and love to not only reach out to one another and to work with one another, but to reach the unsaved. It's all connected. It's all there. It's all the same stuff. That's the inaction principle in action when we do that. So check yourself for a minute. Are you doing that? Have we done that recently? Do we have a great story that happened six months ago, but not much the last couple weeks? That's a sign of a hardened heart. Figure out where your heart's at. Remember, like we said just a minute ago, the next chapter uses compassion to not only lift up believers, but also draw unbelievers to Jesus. So we're all talking about this next step in our lives where God's directing us. He's giving us the compassion and the kindness. He's softening our hearts, and he's putting us into action. He's giving us the opportunity. The next one I call the, the shields principle. Um, what's that a picture of? Any, any Trekkies in here? Yeah, oh, really? Okay. Didn't see that coming. That's awesome. My dad's a big Trekkie. Okay? Star Wars people. Normally, Trekkies aren't Star Wars people. Is that, oh, you're both. Okay, cool. What's the stuff around the ship? Force field? Uh, yeah, they call them shields, right? I'm, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm harnessing my, my inner uh, nerd that came down from my dad. Check this out, right? It says, verse 11, But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears, plugged their ears, literally turned from God, plugged their ears, think, nana, 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 nana. Seriously. That they may not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard. Some of your translations will say like flint. Lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent them through the former prophets. So what it says is, they literally went, uh-uh, God, not going to listen to you at all. I'm even going to make the thing go weird noises. Not going to listen to you at all, God, at all. I'm going to cut everything off. I'm going to put my shields completely up so that nothing's coming through. I'm going to completely harden my heart. The hard-hearted, that's seven times fast, the hard-hearted got that way through actively ignoring God's guidance in their lives. We, we fall into this, this trap sometimes where we say, it's a passive thing. Like, I ignore God passively. Not so much. I ignore God actively. I do things in my life that pull me back from God that harden my heart. You do too. That's, that's how this works. We involve ourselves in things. We allot time for things that are not focused on God. And then we wonder why our hearts are hardened. And we don't feel close to him. It doesn't stop there. Their hearts have become shields against the word of God moving in their lives. Have you ever come into a worship gathering? Or maybe you read your Bible or maybe even you prayed, and you just felt so distant from God. Maybe it's because your heart isn't with him right there. He's paid for your sin. There's no, no around that. But are you so focused on yourself that you have your shields up that you're plugging your ears? <laughs> it's a ridiculous image, but it's right there in verse 12. Verse 11. 
So for the next chapter in your life, protection comes from God, not self-made defense mechanisms. We don't ignore God because, let me think of how I want to phrase this. We ignore God because we don't trust him. We don't follow God because we don't trust him. Now, intellectually, we can sit back and go, no, no, I trust God. But how many choices in your life do you go back to and say, no, 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 that was me. That was a choice I wanted to make. That's what I thought was the best choice. That had nothing to do with God. God said to do A, and I went all of the, I went C, right? Completely off track. It's a defense mechanism. We don't follow God because we don't trust him. The next chapter in your life, the defense mechanism is not ignoring him, but following him. It's a difference. The shields have to go down. He is your shield. Final one. This is in verses 12b through 14. Notice how 12 ended. It says, They would not hear the words of the Lord of hosts, the words that he had sent by the Spirit through the former prophets. Here it comes. Therefore, the great anger came from the Lord of hosts. So when they didn't listen to God, when they plugged their ears, closed their eyes, and looked away from God, when they did all of those things, God responded in anger. As I called, they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. How did he do that? Scattered them. He said, okay, I'm going to put you off into captivity. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that had not known them. Thus the Lord they left, thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. How is the promised land described earlier in Scripture? Land flowing. Does that sound like a desolate land to you? Look at how that ended. They made the pleasant land desolate. It wasn't God, it was their choices that made the land that God said was flowing with milk and honey desolate. They missed it completely. So this, I call this the unlock gate principle, okay? It's that Jesus, the Jesus softened heart finds contentment within the fence, okay? We've talked about God's wrath before, but just to make sure we're on the same page about what that means, God's wrath is the guidelines that he has placed for you. Think your front yard with a fence, okay? That's, that's what God has done. He has put up a fence so that you know if I go outside the fence, bad things can happen. Stay with inside the fence under God's protection. God doesn't lock the gate. The gate's open. You can go outside it if you choose to. The problem is if you choose to, you're going to open yourself up to getting hit by a car because you're outside of the boundaries that he has called you to. Here's the difference. Here's the opposite side of this, right? So the Jesus softened heart finds contentment within the fix. The hard-hearted heart doesn't like feeling contained. They feel restrained, and they test the fence. They, they try to get outside of it. And that leads to pain. You see it here. They didn't trust God. They didn't trust his word. And it led to the land becoming desolate. The, I'm not a big race guy. I don't know much about NASCAR or any kind of racing. Because, you know, clearly. Um, but, like, going on a racetrack... If I go off the track, 
I mean, what happens next? You get past? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not going to go well, right? So if I'm going on the track, Frank, what's the best way to win a race? Like, what's, what's the most important thing you can do? Be consistent driving. And are you driving in the grass at all? No. Stay on the track, consistent, okay? So let me, let me make sure I understand this. So what you're saying is the best way to win this race is to go on the track, stay on the track, and be consistent around all the curves. Who laid out the track? Who's, whose track is it? What? It's God's. So God laid out this track that we're on, and we can win this race, meaning we can follow him how he's called us to, by staying in the lines. And when we don't stay in the lines, when we go outside of them, bad things happen. We lose time. People get ahead of us. We're not doing what God's called us to do. Someone else has to step up and fill the role that God has placed, right? Because we're not doing what he's called us to do. We miss it. We miss the race. Do you think God wanted his people to go into captivity for 70 years? Not at all. Why would he want that? What God wants is to declare his glory. And when declaring his glory is most easily accomplished by pointing out your bustedness, he'll point out your bustedness. Because he's going to point out his glory. It's about him, not about us. So how are you doing at running the race? Are you within the fence? Do you realize that you can find contentment there? Or are you constantly looking outside of it, wondering why every time you step over here it doesn't go well? Do you see it? It's all right here. If you're in the next chapter, he's called you out of sin, run the race the way he's called you to. The next chapter is, the next chapter of success is based on which camp you're in. Are you a softened heart, following him, consistent? What God, God, what are you calling me to? Or these long patches of time where you just can't get out of your own way because you're all about you and what brings pleasure and glory to yourself. Our final two points are the obedience and action. So how does this play itself out within one another, within the body, right? So here in this room, how does this play itself out? First, you show kindness to someone in the body this week. Have compassion. Show them love. Be kind to one another. I know it sounds silly to like point that out, but a lot of times, we miss that part. Finally, have compassion on them when they disappoint. Notice I wrote when, not if. Because I will disappoint. You will disappoint. We will do something boneheaded. Have compassion on one another when that happens. Last one, encourage them through prayer and communication to run the race God has for them. Because again, it's not all about you. God's got a race for them that they're on, a track that they're on. And then in our community, how does this play itself out? First, show kindness to someone in, the, in your community this week. Is this, anyone want to just admit that that's the harder one? It's kind of easy on Sunday morning to be like, yay, how's it going? Love you guys. Monday morning stinks. It's really hard to show compassion then. Second, have compassion on someone that wrongs you this week. 
Don't allow their mistakes to influence your response to them. You will be wrong this week. Someone will do something inappropriate. Someone will do something wrong. Someone may even lie. And you're going to have a problem this week because it's Monday. That stuff's going to happen. Have compassion on them. Actually, do what he's called us to do, right? And then ask God to lower the shields you've built up towards that person that drives you nuts. You know that person. It might be at work that they drive you absolutely insane. Might be on the bike track. They drive you nuts. There's a lot of people out there. I'm sure there are people who drive you crazy, Frank. Pray. Ask God to lower your shields. Ask God to soften your heart towards them and actually love them. Show some compassion. Show some kindness. And then finally, use these opportunities to point them to Christ. What I'm not saying is, come along somebody, pray for them, and then say, you need to know Jesus right now. Right? No. Remember what we talked about earlier? Relational time spent showing compassion, showing kindness, loving people. And it's all encapsulated in the fact that the next chapter of our lives requires a Jesus-softened heart to be successful. It's all about this. Are you taking the time to focus with God, to soften your heart, to see the world the way God says it is? Because the way that we see it is busted. The way that he sees it is fallen and in need of him. And thank God he saw us that way. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.